award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, we got a great show for you today. Mr. Don King is also in studio helping me co-host, as always. Yes, sir, Jason. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, glad to have you and excited about today's guest. Oh, man, I tell you what. We've got Rob Simbeck here today. He's a writer extraordinaire, uh, be it songs, be it uh, books, be it uh, prose, be it poetry. I mean, he, he's got it all. He's, he's a, a, a wordsmith extraordinaire and uh, so glad to have have Rob here today. It's great to be here. I so much appreciate the chance to come and talk to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Got a new book out too, so we're going to dig into yeah. that. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's going to be a fun day. I'm excited to learn a few things. This is uh, I've just met Rob today, and and uh, I hear he's into a lot of stuff, and uh, he's also retired and enjoying that part too. Yeah. So you know he's uh, juggling a lot of things. So I'm excited to hear all the stories and. And whatnot. Instead of doing a little little gardening and things, so that's good too. <laughs> I guess my first introduction to to Rob was um, uh, at the Tennessee Outdoor Writers Association that would that meets uh, has an annual meeting every year. Uh, I would uh, attend that, and Rob would attend that uh, faithfully as well. And uh, we'd break out the guitars kind of around the fire after all the meetings and stuff were over, and just trade songs back and forth and. Uh, Rob always had some great stuff, and I always look forward to hearing his songs. And, uh, and we we just kind of developed a friendship over the years, and and uh, so so that that kind of led us to here. And when I when I saw the notice about your new book, I thought, man, that just lines up perfectly with with Wildcast. We ought to get him on here to to promote the book. And um, and I appreciate you sending us the the advanced PDF, and and since it was so just the day before we've done this i didn't have time to to dig into the whole book but just flipping through and uh, i really liked how you uh you kind of set the thing up with air with land and the water <laughs> and uh so how'd how'd you get get that uh where how'd you come by that rob just juggling ideas this book grew out of the um the south carolina wildlife column that I wrote for 25 years. Uh -huh. It was called for wildlife watchers. And over the course of 25 years, you do a lot of critters. Oh, yeah. And I talked to the University of South Carolina Press, and they wanted to do a book with it. And there were room for about three dozen of them. And as I looked through the columns, I knew there was some I really wanted. It opens with the crow, because it talks about how we used to raise chickens. And if you raise chickens, you know what they're saying. Yeah. After a while, you know if Henrietta's saying, hey, I just laid an egg, or if <laughs> Jesse's saying, hey, the neighbor's cat is out. You yeah. figure that out. Yeah. And so once I started with that, I started listening to the crows and the blue jays and everything else out there, and it really helped toward this. So that was how I picked that one. And a lot of them were like that. And I got to where I was thinking, how do I divide this up? And that one just seemed... Uh, the most logical for me. I haven't really seen it done that way, but um, I had 12 solid ones for each of air, water, and land. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's one of those things. It comes into your head and you think, oh, all right, I'll do that. Yeah. And and I have to say, I, I read the part about the crow in the beginning of the book, and uh, 
very engaging. I mean, I wasn't surprised because Rob writes great stuff, but uh, it it drew me right in because I could relate to hearing those crow sounds and wondering what was going on out there. You know, when you hear a, a gaggle of them out there uh, scolding an owl or something, and yeah. we had that experience. And you you outlined it in the book about about. Uh, uh, them uh, hassling the owls, and uh, mm-hmm. we had one uh, an instance in our yard recently where my wife was saying, "What are those birds all excited about?" And we, sure enough, pretty soon a big owl came out of the tree, and and then the crows all all uh, cheered, "Hey, we got rid of a guy!" You know, you always know that if they're fussing, something's going on. It could be the smaller birds, and it could be a snake. Yeah, uh, and it's worth. For me, I look for any excuse to get outside, uh-huh. and so I'm working at home in my office. And when I hear it, you know, erupt out there, I head out the door. <laughs> so, uh, what led you to, uh, other than working with South Carolina and that thing, that kind of stuff? What led you to want to write more about the outdoors and, and that kind of thing? Did you grow up outside and, and enjoying the outdoors? I did. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and we were at the edge of town, so we had woods and creeks and all that things, and we had tree houses and slingshots and. You know, places to swim and, you know, just all kind of critters everywhere. But I was not an expert at all. So what happened was uh, my better half, Debbie, Uh when we started dating, this was back in the 80s, uh, we would go picnics, walks in the woods, whatever, uh, as dates. And I realized pretty quickly she knew every bird and tree and rock and fern out there. She just knew what they were. And so I started paying attention because I'm following her around anyway. <laughs> Why not learn something while I'm at it? Yeah. And I wrote a piece, because I'd been a writer all my life, um, but I wrote a piece called Notes from a Birdwatcher's Friend, which was about me trying to keep up with her uh-huh. as, as she spotted this, that, and the other. And it sold. And because state magazines, state wildlife and outdoor magazines, don't compete with each other directly, I could sell it to more than one and I sold that a dozen times and mm. I thought hey the outdoors and Debbie I need to hang on to both of them yeah and that's what started it good awesome. choice all the way around <laughs> yeah what's one of your favorite most favorite critters to write about uh, that out of this book or not maybe something else well my, my favorite story in here is the uh, ruby-throated hummingbird because I get to tell a story about uh, one of our first dates I came to Debbie's house and she said, stand here on the porch. I'm going to go out in the yard and show you my hummingbirds. And she took what was a hummingbird feeder. I didn't know it at the time. And she went out and stood like the Statue of Liberty in the yard. <laughs> and after about five minutes, I thought, is this real? Should I be heading to my car and sneaking away from here? And at that moment, a hummingbird zipped across in front of me and went to the feeder and drank. And then another one came, and she stood there about ten minutes and finally, her arm got tired, and she came over and said, pretty neat, huh? And I said, yep. Wow. Wow, that's cool. That is neat. Yeah. But my favorite bird, the pieces in here also, is a pileated woodpecker. Oh, yeah. Because they're this sort of, you know, one-eyed pirate, yo-ho-hoing bird out there, <laughs> ripping bark off things. I mean, there's nothing dainty about them. Uh-huh. You, know, with, you get warblers, and you've really got a strain. They're at the top of the tree, flitting around eating bugs. You've got to check your field guide. With a pileated, you've got something. There's no question. You hear them from half a mile away, and you know what's coming. Oh, yeah. They're fun to watch in the woods. If you're sitting in a tree stand, deer hunting or something like that, and they're pecking on the trees, and, and they're, they're fun birds to watch. Yeah. That's neat. So uh, I know Don knows you from 
playing music together and yeah. you, and you've gotten into uh, you songwriter as well and that kind of thing. Tell us about some of that. Writing songs and and playing music. Well, about the time, uh, 11 years old, the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan Show, and I was reading science fiction, um, and there was a guy named Richard Matheson. There was a short story where it was clear that there was somebody sitting at home with a typewriter mailing out pieces of paper that he'd written on and getting checks back. (laughs) And I thought, my goodness, wouldn't that be fun? And then with the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show, like millions of other kids, I got a guitar. I had it the next day. I was in a band within a year, 12 years old. Wow. And those two twin loves have been there all the way through. And so I had bands in high school, in college. I played in, you know, bars and coffee houses and stuff. And um, went back and forth. I worked for a newspaper for a while. Then I left that and started a band in Rochester, New York. Moved to Los Angeles and did both. I was writing songs. I had a band, and I was a magazine editor. And I moved to Nashville as a songwriter in 1982. Uh-huh. And um, wrote at Combine, which had Christopherson and Tony Joe White and a lot of great writers. Yeah. And it was like a big frat house. I mean, it was just a fun place to be. I, I love the fact that I got to uh, experience all that. But I could never make a living at it. Mm. And so I started writing bios for singers. And then that led eventually to working with Bob Kingsley, who counted down the top 40 on 300 to 500 stations, depending on the era, um, uh, counting down the top 40. And um, so the two worlds kind of mixed. I yeah. mean, you can't um, throw a stone in Nashville without hitting a country singer who's also an outdoor fanatic uh-huh. and the two kept going together all the way through and i still i mean i still write and pitch now and then um had a song on the gretchen wilson christmas album um and the two blend really really well and it's it's been a great life i mean it's just it's been fun so you've your your role with the bob kingsley's uh, country top 40 for 25 years, I understand, mm-hmm. right? That that uh, that was a great relationship. And through that time, you were the guy who wrote all that stuff, that all that witty stuff and all the factual stuff that, that Bob was saying on the air, right? I was, well, I was, there were actually three writers, um, but I did several of the stories every week. And the thing that was great is I got to do most of the interviews. Uh-huh. So if he said, Here's Tim McGraw talking about his new record. I had done the interview with Tim. Right. And, you know, it was hundreds and hundreds through the years. And I could, I could mix the two. I mean, sometimes I would talk to them for stories about, you know, for the outdoors. Uh-huh. And, um, again, the, the two worlds mixed really, really well. Yeah. Well, and it helps to have, you know, when you're dealing with somebody in the music business, asking them about their career and about their other life interests, that you shared those similar mm-hmm. life interests. I mean, you'd had a band, you'd, you'd been out there playing, you've, you've written songs, so you can relate totally to what they're, they're, the info they're giving you. Yeah, and I th- the thing that tr- the trick with any interview is to be as prepared as you can uh-huh. and draw on the things you have in common. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, there's no magic formula to it. It's, it's work and it's just being conversational. It's tuning into the, the person you're talking to. I know Jason, uh, before we started the show, was, was inquiring about, uh, you know, some of your favorites. and, and uh... Yeah, I, I was thinking, I mean, I was looking at uh, your website, robsenbeck.com, and I noticed you know, all these 
artists are here just popped up, artists that you write bios for, and like, man, some of these big names, Blake Shelton, Hank Williams Jr., Shania Twain, and so on and so on. And tell us what it's like writing for these guys, and then also, who's your favorite artist that you've worked with? My favorite straight-up interview was probably little Jimmy Dickens, because he talked about being there when Hank Sr. wrote, Hey, Good Looking. They were on, a, <laughs> they were on Minnie Pearl's plane, oh, wow. flying from Nashville to Kansas City for a gig. And Hank Sr. said to Dickens, you know, you need a hit, uh, Jimmy. And he said, you bet I know that I need a hit, Hank. And Hank said, I got an idea. Get a paper and pen from Minnie and, and take notes. And he started, um, hey, good looking there. And, wow. and Tater's writing down uh, the lines as he does them. And so a week or two later, they run into each other in Nashville. And Hank says, uh, hey, Tater, how you doing? Tater says, uh, got my song done? And he says, um, Hank says, I decided that song's too good for you, and I'm cutting it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't remember G- little Jimmy ever singing that song. No. But, they, I mean, through the years, I, I always loved Earl Thomas Conley. He was a really, really intelligent guy. Oh, and yeah. I, I love the, uh, the stuff he did. But, I mean, Waylon... Um, he had an office down on Music Row, and I used to get stopped by there and just shoot the breeze sometimes. Um, always felt really fortunate uh, with that stuff. First Brooks and Dunn um, bio, I wrote it for their very first uh, record. We were over at Tree Publishing, uh-huh. where they were recording. And um, uh, I put in there that Ronnie had been thrown out of uh, uh, school. It was, a, it was a Christian college in Dallas, and he got thrown <laughs> out for honky-tonk. And so that a year later, when we did the second bio, he said, please take that out. That's all anybody asked me about. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Work at, you work with, with these guys, and then you've also worked with um, uh, Eddie George. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And, and what's it like co-authoring with these guys and, and, and writing with these folks? And tell us about – I think you had a little story about that, that article. Well, th- for, book. for Eddie George and his wife Taj, who's with Sisters of Voice, this great R&B group, um, they wanted to do a book about the six things that help keep their marriage strong. Huh. And so to get a book deal normally, you have to do like a 45-page really formal presentation and present it to a publisher and stuff. She had a page and a half handwritten um, of what she wanted to do, and it was Eddie and his wife, and the publisher said, sure, we'll do that. You're going to need a ghostwriter. And so I was fortunate enough that they called me in. Oh, great. And so I just talked to each of them. I talked to him for about three hours and her for about six altogether and then put the book together. And then the other one like that was with Cal Turner, whose family founded and owned Dollar General for a long, long time. And it was the same thing. We did a first book together where the publisher said, you're going to need a ghost. And that was me. They hired me to do one on leadership. And I kept saying, Cal, if there's anybody in Nashville who's got a story that people would actually buy and a publisher would actually publish, it's you. Think about it. And two years later, he said, I think I'll do it. And, um, and the process, you know, in his case, we went to uh, his place, either his office or his home, and would just sit there for a couple hours and talk. Uh-huh. And I would probe and ask questions and stuff. And we did this literally dozens and dozens of times. And then I would write a chapter or a scene, send it to him. He'd say, yeah, this part's pretty good. This part needs this, that, or the other. We'd go back and forth. And then so the, with Eddie and Taj, six weeks, start to finish. 
Wow. And with Cal, it was off and on for eight years oh, wow. <laughs> before we went to a publisher. Uh, I think that's cool for the folks at home that's listening or watching to know just what does a ghostwriter do? I mean, I don't understand that, that term. Uh, it's uh, Explain that to them. Yeah, a, a ghostwriter is simply the person who actually puts the words together for someone who's telling a story. You get a politician, you get a rock star doing a book. They're not writing that book. Right. Very, very rarely. Once in a while. But... Uh, most of them hire somebody who simply interviews them and goes through old things. With with the Dollar General book, I went through a lot of old annual reports and things like that. Huh. So there was you know business work I had wow. to do too. But it's just a matter of helping them structure. They've got the story; it's inside their head and heart. Right. And the trick is just to get it out in a way that turns into a book that a publisher will actually publish. That's cool. And I, you know, so you talk about songwriters writing books or writing bios for songwriters. They're, they're good at writing a, a verse and a chorus, but you, they need your help to get the full story. <laughs> for the bri- bring it in for the bridge. And it goes for the bridge. Hey, uh, uh, speaking of, of artists and, and other folks you've worked with, Shania Twain's name came up a while ago. And uh, you, you were telling us a little bit about something that most people probably don't understand about Shania. She is an outdoors girl. Uh-huh. Um, she grew up um, in Ontario, um, and she used to, for her father, lead logging uh, trips out into the woods. He was a logger, and she'd take a dozen guys out for like two weeks, and she'd be the person in charge. But that was literally sleeping in a tent, you know, taking a uh, canteen or a creek or whatever it was for the right. water supply. Um, and she knew how to do that. And she, um, I don't think she was a, a hunter or fisherman, but she ate all that stuff. She later became a vegetarian. Mm. Um, as she became a, a star, I think some of that stuff got washed out of her. But she was talking to her for her first album. And th- that album stiffed. It was the second one that took off. Um, but talking to her for that, I felt like I was talking to somebody I'd grown up with who just huh. roamed the woods like I did. And yeah. it was, I mean, she was just the, the girl next door. Very genuine. Yeah. Huh. That's wow. great. Yeah, you, you wouldn't think that watching and seeing her on TV and things like that. We need to recruit her for a wild cast. Uh, let's work it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Oh, uh, you got her phone number? No. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I want to. Ru- ru- uh, Loop back around to this book. Let people know how they can find the Southern Wildlife Watcher. How, how do folks find that book? Um, I'm a big supporter of local bookstores. Yes. So if you're in one of the towns that has a bookstore, call them up um, or you know go online and just tell them, Rob Simbeck, the Southern Wildlife Watcher, and they'll get it ordered for you. If you want to use the standard online sources, you know, they're you can Google it, and it will take you to Amazon or one of the other places that will definitely sell you a copy of the book. Um, it's, um, it's one of those things where, for writers, the relationship that we have with bookstores is so important. Yes. I mean, they are the ones who will bring you in for a signing, which are all virtual right now. This is, mm-hmm. I've done probably 20 interviews so far. This is the first one I've done in person. Okay. Every other one. I set up my computer in front of me with my 
book wall in the back uh, and, and do them that way. And the good news is that you can do both Little Rock and Charlotte in the same day <laughs> w- with no wear and tear on your tires and no bill for gasoline. <laughs> the go. bad news is it's easier to sell a book when you've got them in the store yeah. and you're looking them in the eye and they can come up and get it signed yeah. right there. It's tougher. So it's a new world in every way you look at it. But, uh, yeah, just Google Rob Simmick, the Southern Wildlife Watcher. Somebody will sell you that book. Well, I appreciate you making making this your first appearance outside the home. You know? Yeah, uh, really. <laughs> Wildcats, that's awesome. Hey, we've done a few uh, by Zoom as well, mm-hmm. and uh, these are a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, we appreciate you taking the time to come over today, Rob. Oh, no, it's it's my absolute pleasure. I mean, it's a book. This is as close to – I've done 22 books. This is as close to my heart as anyone uh, has ever been. Yeah. It's just one of those where I get to to start off a piece with the things about an animal that impress or move or tickle me and then bring in experts. Yeah. And, you know, the people who work for the wildlife agencies, the resource agencies uh, around the country are some of the most underappreciated hardworking and important people that we have in the American landscape. I mean, this is, there are the people who are working on the front lines of the environment. Yeah. Uh, That balance between using it and preserving it is so delicate, and they're the people who actually make it work. And I've, since the first piece I ever did for South Carolina Wildlife, I've been in awe of, uh, of those men and women. And so for every piece in here, um, I've got at least one, and sometimes more, experts helping me to make sure that I've pinned down. I always tell them, I don't mind looking stupid before the ink runs. Once the ink runs, I don't want to look stupid, so help me here. Right, right. Well, and I think that's what makes this book so approachable, too, just in, in what I've seen in it so far. You know, it's it's a, I mean, I'll use the term layman's, uh, you know, uh, the interest is there, and and you've seeked it out yourself, and you you found the things that, like as you said, that interest you. Why the the call of a certain bird is what it is, yeah. and and what they're saying, and uh, the, it's just really an interesting approach. It's uh, you know, and and the experts that that are great and have gone to school and know all the taxonomy and all the details and those sorts of things. Sometimes. Uh, Information you read along those lines can be a little bit dry. Sometimes, sometimes a lot dry. But, uh, but sometimes you think, let's hire a ghostwriter here. <laughs> hey, we may have to re- do some recruiting for annual reports <laughs> here, or, ghostwriter or for our website. No. Yeah, right. But uh, but that's that's what I find so interesting about your book, Rob, is is that it is so so approachable and, and just piques my interest. Well, I appreciate that. And any good, I think, book or article it just amounts to an author saying, hey, guess what I saw? Yeah. It's coming home, you know, after work to the family or going out to meet your friends somewhere. That's what you do. You tell stories. You tell people what's been interesting in your life. And I think, you know, in many cases for a writer, it's just a matter of getting that on paper. I mean, sometimes I don't know what I think until I write about it. Uh Um, And this was a chance for me to – it's kind of a love story. Uh, between me and the outdoors and the creatures. And the trick is that we go, we don't just do bald eagles and bobcats and things like that. There's the housefly in here and the earthworm, oh, neither wow. of whom are <laughs> native to North America. Huh. The housefly was brought here from Asia 
um, taken all over the world and ships and things like that and people mm -hmm. traveling. And um, the earth, the most, some of the most common earthworm species were brought here in ballast from ships from Europe. Huh. And the glaciers had wiped out. There wasn't an earthworm north of uh, upstate New York after the last glaciers wow. receded. I mean, just things, that's what keeps me interested in even the, the things we want to overlook or just look at as fish bait. Sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> What's the largest, uh, largest animal of the book? Oh, goodness. Um, probably the great, uh, great White Shark. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and um, it's, uh, you are more likely to be killed by a cow than a shark. Uh -huh. But try telling that to somebody who's scared about going to the beach. Right. Um, it's, it's like you're so much safer in a plane than in the car on the way to the airport. But, uh, you know, and in the case of sharks, they became the Elvis of Predators because of that movie. Sure. Yeah. Because, Everybody because knows of, the movie. Because of Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's oh, cool. Oh, man. So anything from a hummingbird or from a fly even, actually, fly to the shark. That's pretty cool. Yeah, neat. I try to do a little bit of everything. Some that are real common you'll see in the backyard. And with uh, uh, the gray squirrel, I tell the story that they're probably why we're a free country, why we're not paying taxes to the queen, because there were so many squirrel hunters um, who ended up in the – in the American Army. Oh, okay. And yeah. these were people who knew how to shoot. Had to be good and marksmen. You have to aim much tighter with a squirrel than you do with some of the bigger games. Huh. Neat. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So do you, uh, after writing this book or beforehand, do you find yourself outdoors shooting at all or fishing or enjoying that kind of, that, that side of things, or are you just mainly a, a wildlife watcher? I, I'm, I've been a fisherman most of my adult life. Debbie's the hunter in the family. Oh. Um, I learned early on that in Thanksgiving Day in Pennsylvania, when, when most of the relatives went out hunting, if I stayed home, I got to enjoy the leftovers, and I got to eat what they brought home anyway. So I figured, <laughs> look, it's 10 degrees outside. Yeah, right. It's snowing. I'm in here watching Notre Dame. <laughs> they are outside <laughs> in a tree stand. Uh, oh, Fishing is a lot more civilized. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Tennessee, you got all kinds of opportunities for fishing it's a it's a great state to live in and and fish for sure and i've been part of the outdoor writing business of course i've written about all of it and this is indeed a great state and it's um and again the people on the front lines who are trying to achieve the balance that you need to do have always impressed me they've they were always a part of the towa for many many years right and um good hearts and good minds on the front lines here yeah, we recently had the executive director on, and uh, we were talking about Asian carp, you know, and how how that's affected our ecosystem uh, in waters and here in Tennessee. And uh, so there's always something, you know. Yeah. There's there's uh, so glad we have those experts out there that can. I so appreciate the agency. Yeah, and I thank you so much for for doing this and let me be a part of it. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, you awesome. bet. Our pleasure. Don't forget robsimbeck.com to check out all his, his work and, and uh, learn more about him. That's uh, Start there and then uh, go find the book. The I'm going to have to restock my uh, paper supply at home because when I printed out the, the bio and, and credits and stuff, five pages. It just kept basically. going. Yeah, kept going. Uh, Very one last impressive. question. Do you do radio? Because your voice is great. Maybe we could hire you for some radio stuff. The only radio I ever did, I covered a murder trial when I was a newspaper reporter. I was probably 22 years old. 
and they shipped me out of town to do it because there was a change of venue and every day at noon I would call in and say what happened that morning. Wow, wow. Um, but other than that, I just wrote for Kingsley. He was the microphone guy. Well, we <laughs> may have to get a microphone in front of you for some more stuff for the yeah, wildlife page. That'd that's be right. All right. Well, thank you, Rob. Don, thank you for helping co-host. Sure enough. Thanks to Todd for pushing the button. Yeah, making thank it happen. You, Todd. And uh, this is Tennessee Wildcast. Keep tuning in, keep watching, and keep listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.